How do you feel about the phrase born again? Do you claim it or not? If you were asked to check it on a box, do you say you're a born again Christian or do you not align with what it is? And what is it in the first place? This week on Life Repurposed, I'll bring you a fresh perspective on what it means to be born again based on scripture, challenging you to see it not as a checkbox, but a vibrant way of transforming every aspect of life and faith. Come on inside. Welcome to Life Repurposed. This is where midlife meets inspiration, practical guidance, and renewed purpose amid life's evolving chapters. We navigate faith questions and messy, uncertain twists with humor and a commitment to pursue treasure, even in the hard stuff. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn, the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. A pivotal moment is a time or an event when everything shifts or turns direction. It's a critical point or a defining moment on which other key events depend. Every one of us has had both positive and negative experiences in our lives that have defined how we think and how we react to future events. Some have caused a negative change in your future behavior, and others have caused you to launch into even greater things. I encourage you to do some reflection as we get started today. What have been the pivotal moments in your life? What have been the real life-changing events? When do you remember feeling as if a light went on? What moments feel like a light have been turned off? What are some of the moments when you realize that something changed the course of events to come? What milestones mark the steps you've taken to get to where you are now? For many of us, there are spiritual milestones that we can look back to as pivotal. And today's topic is one that is often seen as a marking point for a Christian, but you'll soon see why I think our modern use of the phrase has cheapened its meaning. Today we're looking at what it means to be born again. Has this been confusing for you as well when people use the term born again as a marker of a demographic or a box to check? Before we talk about that, let's talk about physical birth for a moment, because then we're going to be talking about spiritual birth. Birth, the beginning of life, is undeniably an awe-inspiring miracle. Consider the profound journey each of us undertook, starting from a single cell known as a zygote. From this microscopic entity, we developed into complex beings, each with our unique features, personalities, and destinies. I have freckles on my nose. I have blonde hair. I'm short. I have one dimple, only one. Look around wherever you are, in your car, out for a walk, at a coffee shop, maybe your home, glance at the pictures on the wall. Every person you see began as a single cell. Every one of them was miraculously created inside their mother's body. The process of birth itself is a testament to the remarkable design of life. From the initial biochemical changes in the infant to the final moments of delivery, every stage of labor illustrates the profound bond between the mother and the child. When you look at the science of it, it's so amazing. A biochemical change in the baby signals the start of the hormone changes that will lead to contractions. 
parents, if you didn't already know it, that child was in charge from long before they came out of the womb. As we contemplate the journey from conception to birth, we are reminded of the miraculous nature of existence. Every life is a testament to the beauty and complexity of creation. Every life deserves the reverence and gratitude that come from knowing that we are created in the image of our Creator. The science is amazing, but what's even more amazing for me was staring into the face of a newborn and wondering, how in the world did that little creature come out of my body? I still can't explain it. To think that every one of us grew inside someone's pelvis for nine months blows my mind. It's nearly impossible to fathom, and dare I insert a pun and say impossible to conceive how it all works? even after we're holding the eight-pound bundle of joy that emerges from a woman's body. What if someone told you that as an adult, you'd have to go back in and be born again? If I didn't have John 3, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I found that being in middle age is a great time to reflect on the phrases and the concepts that have been part of my life since I was a child, the ones that I've always taken for granted without thinking much about the meaning. I seriously think that after the kids start leaving home, we finally have a little time to be alone with our thoughts. Or maybe middle age is just the time of life when we finally know what we want to be when we grow up. Sidebar, I'm on a whole new career from where I was when I started out as a newbie straight out of college at age 21. I feel like in the metaphor of life, now that the car is headed somewhere and on cruise control, we can finally look around at the scenery a little bit. And looking around at the spiritual scenery for me and seeing my faith journey and my faith history, it has brought up a lot of questions for me. Questions like, how did I not see that before? What does that mean? Do my children wonder about this too? What did I tell them when they were younger? And where did that idea come from? Today, I want to turn our attention to the concept of being born again a term that is often discussed in Christian circles, or maybe not discussed, but just used in Christian circles. It really is about the notion of spiritual rebirth, and while it's deeply rooted in scripture, it has garnered a lot of interpretations over the years. The phrase born again is supposed to signify a transformation, a renewal of heart, and a renewal of spirit that goes beyond religious rituals or adherence to rules. It's a rebirth that means embracing a new identity as children of God. I wanted to dive into the term and learn more about the history of it and when it became popular to use the title born again as sort of a spiritual pedigree and like a title rather than the essence of Christian faith, like a journey of surrender, renewal, and transformation. So the invitation to experience the profound love of God and his mercy and this radical change in our lives comes from John 3 in the Bible, and we'll get there. We're going to talk about that. But I want to camp out just a little bit here on the history of the use in the last hundred years or so, and um, we'll go forward then from there. For the last few weeks on the podcast, I've been defining terms, and this is one that may or may not be confusing for you, depending on where you grew up. I don't know how familiar you are with the idea of using the phrase born again. But as early as the 1920s, so about 100 years ago, some Christian leaders and writers started using the phrase born again Christian a lot more to speak about their experiences of converting to Christianity and experiencing a radical life change. 
However, it was fairly low-key until the 50s and 60s. The idea, like I said already, came from scripture, but it really took off as not only a tagline to use or a way of just talking about, you know, like a metaphor, because I love metaphors. I really love me a good metaphor. But it's also a way of grouping and sorting Christians, really, today. So how did it get there? Well, I'll link to the article that I used as a really good summary of the history. So that'll be in the show notes. But um, Professor Kenneth Oritz gave a really thorough history of the term born again. And so I pulled some bullet points out of there just from my lifetime first. I want to start with how did this term change even in my lifetime? So we're talking in the last 50 or so years, almost 55 years, if we're going to be honest about that number. (laughs) So let's look at these ones that are from my lifetime from this article uh, by Kenneth Oritz. In the 1970s, Chuck Colson, a key figure in the Watergate scandal with President Nixon, became a born-again Christian during his time in federal prison, and he started talking about it more using that term. And in 1976, Colson published a book titled Born Again, and in it, he detailed his conversion, his life change, and that book became a bestseller, and it elevated him as an influential evangelical leader. Then Jimmy Carter, during his 1976 presidential campaign, identified himself as a, quote, born-again Christian. This sparked curiosity and confusion among the public and the media. It wasn't a term people used very commonly, and so they wondered, what is this? The term born-again gained widespread attention, with many assuming it represented a new Christian sect, but it was actually a common descriptor among evangelical Christians for the transformative experience of conversion. The phrase's popularity contributed to increased visibility and influence of evangelicalism, and it was even dubbed by Newsweek as the Year of the Evangelical in 1976. Billy Graham's 1977 book, How to Be Born Again, reinforced the significance of the term and emphasized its connection to biblical Christianity. Some critics argued that the emphasis on born-again Christianity was a modern invention, but evangelicals countered with biblical references asserting its scriptural basis. Critics claim that previous eras associated the new birth with infant baptism, while evangelicals linked it to a personal repentance and faith in Christ. That's just the last 50 years or so. Now let's go a little further back. We won't go all the way back, and I won't go into all the details, but we'll go within the 50 years before the last 50 years. So staying kind of close, we'll go a little further back here with the first one. In the mid-18th century, Powerful revivals led by Jonathan Edwards and George Whitefield emphasized the new birth. So they talked about that, which gave rise to American evangelicalism. Then by the late 19th century, a divide emerged between modernists and fundamentalists within evangelicalism, with modernists rejecting the born-again emphasis. Fundamentalists, however, intensified their commitment to the born-again experience and began identifying as, quote, born-again Christians in the 1930s and 1940s. In the 1950s, evangelist Bill Bright and his Campus Crusade for Christ embraced the label, spreading its use among young converts. The Jesus People movement of the late 1960s further populized the term among young adults being converted to Christ. And then Billy Graham, a prominent 
evangelist, significantly contributed to the widespread use of born again in the 1960s, making it a common phrase among American Christians by the 1970s. Again, I appreciate the research done by Kenneth Oritz, and I'll link to that in the show notes of this article. So before we get into the biblical origins of the phrase and just looking at really what does it mean and why did people claim this term and why did it rise up as a popular way of categorizing Christians, um, before I get into that, I just want to tell you that this episode is from some of the content of the second book in the Remade Bible Study series, which is coming soon. So I'll just give you a little bit of information about the first book in the series here, and then we'll jump into scripture and look at the story of Nicodemus. Have you ever faced life's curveballs and felt you were in pieces? There's no need to be a Bible expert. This book meets you right where you are. So what's inside? Over six weeks, you'll dig into the Apostle Paul's story and his timeless letters, no fancy degree required. You'll explore thought-provoking questions and reflections, and go a little further with micro-studies throughout the week. Renewed is like a roadmap to rediscovery, renewal, and the kind of joy that sneaks up on you in the midst of life's messiness. It's like catching up with a friend who's been through it and wants to share their hard-earned wisdom. Themes such as redeem, restart, repurpose, revive, rejoice, and repeat light the way, showing you how to find beauty in the cracks and grace in the chaos. It's sprinkled with humor, relatable examples, and a healthy dose of soul-searching, and this book is your partner in spiritual growth. Whether you're flying solo or diving in with a group, Renewed has you covered. And don't worry, I left plenty of space for your notes, scribbles, and doodles. Ready to take a journey toward renewal, hope, and some serious soul-soothing? Grab your copy of Renewed, then get comfy, and let's dig in. Let's dive into the story of Nicodemus and look at the origins of this term, born again. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who sought out Jesus under the cover of darkness. Despite his esteemed position and religious fervor, Nicodemus found himself drawn to Jesus, recognizing him as a teacher sent from God. Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus serves as a great reminder of the importance of curiosity and openness to new truths. Despite his initial confusion regarding the concept of being born again, Nicodemus's willingness to engage in dialogue with Jesus demonstrates a genuine desire to understand and grow in faith. I'm really inspired by his story because I feel like in some ways his story reflects some of my own. Nicodemus was a religious man, but he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah and he wanted to have a relationship with him. This is a turning point for every one of us when we realize that the religious knowledge, the rituals, the traditions we have are not meaningful if we miss the relationship with Jesus, or when we realize we have more questions than answers about our own religious traditions. That curiosity is a great starting place for new growth. Listen to this, an excerpt from the story of Nicodemus in John 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. John 3, verses 1 through 9. I'm not going to get into a bunch of Greek here because I'm terrible at pronouncing the words. I love to use references that explain the meanings of Greek words, but I don't not know Greek. I never studied Greek. Um, But the verb here used to be born comes from a Greek word that can refer to the action of the father, like to beget. If you look at Old Testament in like the King James, they didn't talk about someone being born of. They talked about somebody um, so-and-so begat (laughs) so-and-so. It can also be the, the action of the mother to give birth to. The common ingredient here is generation or regeneration. And so the new birth that Jesus talks of, this regeneration, is another Greek word that can mean from above or again. So we're thinking about being born again from above. And so using modern terms, let's just call that spiritual rebirth because that that makes sense to me. So the term born again has taken on some different connotations in our society, mostly because some of the people who claim to have life in Jesus don't always act like followers of Jesus. Born again implies a transformation and an ongoing process of growing and maturing after that spiritual birth, you know, kind of like how we grow and mature after our physical birth. But when the evidence of transformation is absent, then born again just turns into a label. And it all becomes a contradictory label because we're saying we're born again, but we're not acting like we're born again. And it's really confusing, not only for ourselves, but for other people. So in this passage, John, uh, the passage of John, um, this book was written um, is one of the four gospels. So I love to study and compare in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how these stories all kind of intersect. But I only find Nicodemus and this particular story in John. So Nicodemus comes under the cover of physical darkness, and he also comes in spiritual darkness or blindness. I won't get into a lot of the backstory of his story. I do that in the Bible study that's going to be coming out. But right here, we're just going to look at how he is coming in the dark to talk to Jesus and how he is spiritually blind in how he stumbles around with trying to understand Jesus. Now, he's been a rule follower who is familiar with striving and observing the microscopic details about adhering to God's commands. But despite all these efforts, he somehow knows that it wasn't exactly the way because he wouldn't have approached Jesus if he thought that he already had all the answers. So when Jesus told Nicodemus he needed to be born again, he offered him a restart. But Nicodemus acted as if Jesus were suggesting that he needed to return to his mother's womb and come out again. We don't know if he truly didn't understand what Jesus meant or if he was trying to be thick-headed on purpose. I don't know. I never do that, right? As a teacher of the law and a person who had studied it, Nicodemus would know what scripture said. He would know what the Old Testament said. And in the Bible study, I go into some of the cross-references there of things he would have known. And so Jesus challenged him here. 
So let's continue in John 3. Jesus replied, you are a respected teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. John 3, verses 10 through 14. Like Nicodemus, we are called to embark on a journey of spiritual exploration, a journey that is to be marked by humility, curiosity, and a willingness to embrace new insights. And as we navigate the complexities of faith, we hope that we can approach each encounter with Jesus with an open heart and a willingness to be transformed. But this is something that I've had to cultivate. I didn't like to be told that my point of view might not be correct at one point in my life. I still don't love it. I'm just a lot more curious now, and I'm asking a lot more questions, and so I'm more open to explore the idea that what I've always thought might not exactly be the truth. And so that's where Nicodemus is here. And in reflecting on his story, we're confronted with the profound truth that spiritual rebirth is not merely a one-time event, but an ongoing process of growth and maturation. Just as he experienced a gradual transformation, I'll explain how we know that in a moment, We are also called to journey deeper into our relationship with God and allow His Spirit to continually renew and reshape us. And uh, like I said, I'll get to explaining in a moment how we know that Nicodemus did change. But in the middle of the story here, we come across the most well-known verse in the Bible, the one that I've heard the most quoted in my lifetime. Listen here. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. John 3, verses 16 through 21. Nicodemus was familiar with working for God's approval. He would have loved rules and law because he was a Pharisee and also a highly respected and prominent member of the high council called the Sanhedrin. This means he was a zealot for the law and also a purist when it came to religion. In addition to being physically born to our parents, each of us also needs to come to a moment in life when we realize that we need to be spiritually reborn. Now, when I say moment, I also mean that it might come gradually. Rebirth does not have to happen like a bolt of lightning with an altar call, even though I was brought up to kind of believe that we had to have a date we could mark down when we knew when we were born again. What I've learned in life is that rebirth comes when we get to the end of all the striving and realize we can't call ourselves part of God's family by being a good person or by following the Ten Commandments, not by going to church, not by getting confirmed, not by being religious. It's by acknowledging that Jesus is the only way. It's really getting outside of ourselves and all of our striving. 
So I said I would tell you how we know Nicodemus experienced a transformation. Well, he appears again in John 7. I'm not going to go there and read all of this because I don't have time in a short podcast to really explore all that's here in John 3 and cross-referencing, but we see some change starting when he appears in John 7. And then in John 19, he's there again, and he is standing before Jesus' accusers and boldly stating that Jesus deserves a fair trial. And it's dangerous for a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin to stand up for Jesus. So we see the transformation happened because of his boldness in standing up here, even in the face of opposition. So this serves as a powerful reminder of the transformative power of faith. Despite Nicodemus's initial reservations and doubts, he ultimately found the courage to align himself with the truth, demonstrating the profound impact of encountering Jesus. A life repurposed is a reborn life, but not in the way that it's a title to claim. Nicodemus's example inspires us to courageously em- embrace the transformative power of faith, allowing it to shape our identities and guide our actions. Ultimately, Jesus challenged Nicodemus's identity. His commitment to religious activities, to study, and that piety would no longer be his identity. The Pharisees loved to condemn people, but Jesus came in love not to condemn people but to save them. And we see that in John 3, verse 17. You know, we read John 3, 16, but we miss the rest of it of what Jesus said right after that. He came in love, not to condemn people. I don't know if you also find it ironic then that the term born again shows up prominently in some really legalistic Christian circles that are tied to rules and religiosity. I know this because I was Nicodemus at one point in my life. And so we can't tie being born again to following rules and looking a certain way on the outside, because it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus was talking about here when he had this conversation with Nicodemus in John 3. So I can relate to Nicodemus' story. Well, not on the Sanhedrin, but being a religious devotee that got a lot of it wrong. Jesus spoke directly to Nicodemus' need here when he had this conversation. He told him what he needed to hear, not what Nicodemus wanted to hear. Not fake words that would appease him and make him feel better, but clear truth about what could change his life. Imagine also what a relief it might have been for Nicodemus to hear that Jesus' work would replace his own work and his striving toward perfection. There's both a relief in this change of knowing, oh, thank goodness, I don't have to do this all by myself anymore. And there's also a challenge in it because it requires some change. God's word speaks directly and clearly to us and tells us that we can be reborn and we can experience new life too. If you've been trying to follow all the rules and be a good person, Jesus offers you the same as he did to Nicodemus, believe. This is the belief that goes beyond acknowledging that Jesus was a great teacher who did miraculous things. Born again isn't a label. It isn't a box to check on a survey. It isn't a moment we mark by making a bracelet. It's the process Jesus brings us through as we pass from simple belief into brand new life. After that spiritual rebirth, we begin to grow and mature, and people might start to notice how much we resemble our Heavenly Father. And that's why being born again 
is not an event. It's a way of living. As we conclude today, I urge you to take this challenge to heart and join me as we shift our perspective on what it means to be born again. It's not just a label or a one-time event. It's a transformative way of life. So here's your call to action. Let's commit to living out our faith in a tangible way every day. Seek opportunities for growth, renewal, and deeper connection with God and others. Let's let being born again be more than a checkbox, instead making it the driving force behind every decision we make and every interaction we have. Together, let's embrace the journey of continual transformation and walking boldly in the light of faith. I'm going to continue the conversation on this over at Substack, and anyone can join in. You don't have to be a member. So come on over and tell me your thoughts on what it means to be born again. I'll link in the show notes at michellerayburn.com slash 186, and you can find me there. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you for joining me today, and may you be inspired to live out your repurposed life in meaningful ways. Thanks for listening to Life Repurposed. Would you like more? Check out the Life Repurposed magazine on Substack and get resources, weekly musings, and conversations with others. Just go to liferepurposed.me.